Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. In this episode of the Fidelity ETF Exchange, host Etienne Jeanca Bouchard and guest Andre Bruno, Director ETF Capital Markets at Fidelity Canada, sit down to recap all things fixed income for 2022. With more than $13 billion in net inflows this year, fixed income ETFs showed resilience despite the very challenging year from a performance standpoint. Some of the key topics discussed by our panel today include ETF flows by category, the impact of rising interest rates on various fixed income sectors, as well as an outlook on some of the potential opportunities for 2023. Today's podcast was recorded on December 15th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange. I'm your host, Etienne Jean Cabouchard, aka EJB. And today uh, we have a great guest joining us uh, to wrap up the year, get some perspectives on fixed income markets, central bank policy, rates, inflation, talking about the difficult year that it's been but you know looking ahead it seems like you know there's some light at the end of the tunnel so we're really excited to have this chat right now uh it's you know december 15th as of the recording today uh joining us is andre bruno who is now a recurring guest on on the podcast i think been on multiple times so thanks for joining us again andre how you doing i'm doing great thank you uh we're we're going into the holiday season here so uh you know, it's obviously exciting and fun time for everyone. But I, once again, thank you for having me. And uh, I think we're going to have another great show on our hands here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great point, right? Like we're wrapping up the year. Um, you know, everybody's starting to kind of phase out the work uh, work stuff for, for a well, uh, well-deserved break. I think for anybody who's working in, in, in uh, financial markets this year or asset management, it's been quite a quite a challenge. And I think uh, more specifically on, on the bond side, obviously, where it's been, I think, um, to my knowledge, the worst calendar year on record for most bond indices that, that are tracked. It's like, for example, uh, the Bloom, uh, Bloomberg Barclays uh, U.S. Ag Index, Global Ag Bond Index, Canadian Ag Bond Index, most sectors also, uh, you know, if you exclude maybe leveraged loans, which are, you know, almost clawing back because of their, you know, floating rate nature, but the rest is all negative. There's been no real place to hide. Um, you know, the, the first place I'll go, I think, is before we talk about some of those sectors and kind of the perspectives there is on flows, because albeit it's been a very challenging year from a performance standpoint, flows have actually been quite good. Uh, so if you look at, you know, the fixed income ETFs in Canada uh, this year, uh, we've seen about 13 billion in net new assets. That being said, about a bit more than half of that is in the cash alternative space. So going into the ultra short duration, obviously with no well, no duration, right? It's a cash alternative when where you're getting 
some yield to to park your 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 assets in the in the meantime of waiting for for potential rebound and reallocation towards more uh, risk on assets. But that's really been driving flows there. You've seen uh, Canadian aggregate bond index type solutions also 5.5 billion. So that's like pretty much all of it, right? It's 12.5 out of 13. Uh, with preferred shares also kind of getting bucketed into that. Those are negative about $1 billion this year. Is there anything that stood out to you, Andre? I mean, obviously, I think we have to touch on the cash alternative space because it's just been so dominant. But anything else? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I, I feel like especially in the first half of the year, the, the, the cash space was probably kind of leading and, and frankly into the back half of the year as well. But I think more recently we've started seeing a lot more interest in, you know, more duration products. So, you know, you mentioned there kind of the Canada ags have been getting quite a bit of flows uh, and we've certainly been seeing a lot more of that late in the year. Obviously yields are, are now at attractive levels um, that we haven't seen in, you know, since kind of 2008, 2009. Uh, so again, we, we've come from this ultra low interest rate environment getting, you know, you know, one percent on cash, maybe two, three, four percent on bonds, and now we're we're getting up into the six, seven, eight percent yield uh, range. So, you know, from from a longer term investment horizon, and when you when you take it all in from a sixty forty context as well, uh, I think the forty is is starting to come back now, especially with uh, with where yields are right now. Yeah, absolutely. You're starting to see that kind of reallocation back into bonds, and it's almost like a, a logical first step, right? It's like if investors have gone to cash, it's rare that you're going to go and actually. Uh, I was on a panel recently with some some of our colleagues in the industry, and you know some people were saying, "Yeah, I think people are going to go from cash to like super high beta, high active share equities." I was like, eh, "Maybe, you know, maybe there's a, a more gradual process in which bonds probably get you know the uh, the larger share of assets to start off the year." Um, but another point that you made is is that's really interesting is the sixty forty portfolio, right? And I think you know for, for younger investors that don't really hold much bonds or any bonds like you maybe haven't realized just how tough it's been but if you are uh you know uh you know a more risk averse investor and say more than 50% of your holdings are in fixed income securities this is a really big anomaly anomaly year like more than three standard deviation negative performance if you look at like say the past 30 years of bond returns you know you mentioned we're coming off of a, a very low rate environment and and that's obviously been you know the main driver of this negative performance has been rates or and, and so the more rate sensitivity you have the the more you're down just to give an example to our audience you know say uh the canadian aggregate bond index which has a duration of you know let's say seven and a half is down about 8.6 percent this year as of today and then if you look at something like leverage loans on the complete opposite which are floating rate in nature you're only down 62 basis points so my question is you know rates have been that driver and why is that and maybe kind of just a more fundamentally basic question but you know why do higher rates hurt bonds so much yeah so so it's a great question so you know fundamentally when you think about a bond the easiest way to think about it is it's just a series of cash flows so um you know you've got your coupon payments often they're paid you know semi-annually so twice a year and then you, at maturity you get your principal back so the way we discount those into the present is by using an interest rate so as your interest rate goes up, the value, the present value of those cash flows go down. And so that's where you get the inverse relationship between interest rates and the prices of bonds. And again, as you mentioned, you know, interest rates have moved a ton this year. Obviously, central banks across the globe have started raising rates. Canada and the U.S. obviously uh, pretty notable in, in, in how much they've raised rates. So obviously, yields have moved much, much higher in, in both those jurisdictions. And again, that's uh, again being reflected in those uh, index returns that you cited earlier. Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, once I, maybe even to dive a bit deeper into that is that now you find us, we find ourselves with 
a bunch of bonds trading at what we call a discount to maturity value. And that's going to have an impact eventually, obviously, on, on from a fiscal standpoint, uh, because you're going to be making some of that yield, if you will, from capital gains and not as much from income. That seems like it's a, a big difference and it almost oh, it is an advantage uh, compared to only interest bearing securities like, say, uh, a certified uh, or GIC, excuse me, um, guaranteed investment certificate, which has become much, very popular, I think. You know, we talk about cash alternative ETFs, but on the other side, you know, from, from, from banks are offering attractive, you know, yields relative to say a year ago on GICs. There's a reason for that. But I'd like your your take and perspectives on bonds versus GICs where we are now, because, you know, you're getting a lot of you're talking. We're hearing a lot about GICs recently. Yeah, it's a good question. You're right. It has been coming up quite a bit. Um, when, you, when you think about GICs right now as well, I think, you know, you can get, you know, five-year GICs somewhere around the, the 5% range. Um, you know, it's pretty flat going from one year to five year. I think you can get even one year, you know, 4% or something. So it's, it's quite attractive. And, and, you know, given mm-hmm. the year we just had, and even, even last year was a bit challenging as well, because a lot of the rate hikes started getting priced in in the back half of last year. So some folks maybe had a bumpy ride last year as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a capitulation from, from, from investors in the market in terms of just saying, you know what, I, I, you know, the, the bonds have been killing me this year. I'm just going to lock in my five-year GIC. Uh, a couple things to consider. I thought you brought up a good point just about the tax. Uh, so again, GICs is 5%. It's all income. It's all tax. When you take a look at bonds right now and where they're priced, um, you know, you can get, again, you can get bond mandates in 7 7.5% to 8%. So you're still getting a yield pickup. Mind you, you do have that price volatility uh, mm-hmm. that you don't have to deal with with GICs. Uh, but just from, you made a good point about kind of bonds being discounted right now. So um you know, just from a pulled apart phenomenon, what that means pulled apart is, you know, your bonds are trading at 90 cents or 80 cents on the dollar. Now they're going to mature at, you know, par, which is 100 cents on the dollar down the line. So you get that capital gain possibility right down the line. Uh, so again, that's preferentially taxed. Um, the other thing to consider as well, GICs versus bonds. I know you can do cashable GICs, which are liquid. Um, mind you, they, they offer a much lower interest rate. Um, but you have to think about your liquidity right now as well. So yeah. uh, we're still seeing some trepidation uh, with investors from jumping back into bonds, although we are seeing a pickup and, and it is being reflected in the flows there. Um, you know, if you are still worried, you know, Fed still in rate hiking cycle, the BOCs uh, still in their rate hike cycle. And I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit more uh, detail in a moment. Uh, but again, you, you want to make sure that your your investments are liquid so that, mm-hmm. you know, when that, you know, when things do turn around and, you know, you know, when rate hikes, you know, cycles stop, you're, you can get back and rotate into your bonds quickly. Uh, the other thing to consider about, uh, and again, it, it ties into the liquidity. So if you think about your 60-40 portfolio, and, you know, I've, I've, I've given this example many times, but if you think about your 60-40 portfolio, um, and you and you and you take your full forty and you put it into GICs as an extreme example. I'm I'm sure most folks aren't doing that, but you know just for just for uh, uh, academic sake yep. here argument. Um, you know what happens in a year or two years if we do get a market uh, drawdown? Equities are down twenty thirty percent. Uh, in that type of scenario, your treasuries are, are likely going to be rallying. Your investment grade is likely going to do decently la- decently in a year like that, as history has shown. Um, so you know your GICs are just going to stand there. Your equities are going to be down. So now you have a decision to make. Do I, do I break my GICs, forego my interest, 
and then get back to my neutral 60-40 mix? Or do I just keep my GICs, don't go back to my neutral mix, and then potentially miss out on an equity rally? So mm -hmm. again, just, just think about your liquidity. Think about you know uh, the constraints for your, your particular client and, and what needs to be achieved. And just keep these things in mind uh, uh, when you're allocating to, to GICs. Yeah, that's, those are all great points. And, you know, I think one, I, I absolutely want, need to get to uh, one thing you mentioned, but uh, definitely I think that conversation isn't quite over yet with regards to GICs. It's just like that's pure safety, right? Like it just feels comforting for a lot of investors to say, you know, it's been, I don't think there's been in the past 20 years, uh, two years, two consecutive years where uh, bonds have been negative, which would be the case. Like, and I mean by, bond index, obviously, because there's some managers that have been able to, to, to generate positive returns in 2021, 2022, that's been almost impossible. But um, that's like fairly unique, right? I don't, but, I don't think I don't think going back to the Canada Ag, US Ag and Global Ag since inception for when they when they started these indices, which I believe was uh, sometime in the 70s, I think late 70s for the US Ag, don't quote me on the exact date. And then I think early early 80s was the was the Canada Ag, but anyway, around that time, I don't think there's ever been two negative years uh, since those since those indices have been uh, been in circulation. So it, it is certainly a, it's not a great stat. We don't love that stat, no. but uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it certainly paints a picture uh, just with regards to kind of the outlook for bonds moving forward. Um, you know, it it, it, it you know it, 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 I think um, you know again I think this all ties back to inflation again, like. It, the, Certainly, the outlook for bonds does look positive moving forward. But again, this mm -hmm. is all going to tie back to the inflation story. But that's that's really what we're going to get to soon is this opportunity set because we've heard from some of our managers here at Fidelity. We've heard from industry experts, you know, people, um, you know, macro strategists, uh, you know, getting more excited about bonds than they have in a long time. And but but before we talk about that kind of the, the you know looking out in the future is. One of the main things holding, I think, investors and advisors back from dipping their toes into buying bonds back is the fact that maybe there's still a few rate hikes left. But that doesn't necessarily matter too much because the market anticipates some of this. If we look, say, at the swaps market, for example, which is telling us that, you know, yes, there's a few hikes left, but that's what's that's the base case. That's what's expected. So I, can, can you touch on that? Because, you know, some you hear that it's like, oh yeah, well, I don't want to buy bonds yet because there's still hikes that are expected. But as we saw, like say with the Bank of Canada, not in the most recent one, but we saw in, in I, I think it was October, when you saw uh, 50 basis points instead of 75 basis points, the market rallied. But it was still a hike. It still wasn't good, right? Like for, for bonds, but it was already anticipated there would be more. So unless we see, right, like much higher inflation and, and, and then central banks, once again, changing their, their outlook or changing their dot plots upwards, we should be good, right? Well, I think it's a great point. So to, to your point, you know, markets are forward looking. So, you know, markets are currently pricing in a terminal rate of around 5% in the US. So we're, we're currently sitting at four and a half percent in the US on the overnight rate. So another 50 basis points of tightening uh, in Canada. Um, not quite as much. I, I believe we're sitting at 425 at present uh, and market is pricing in a terminal of around four and a half percent. So another 25 basis points uh, of tightening from the BOC there. Mm -hmm. So so again, this is what the market's currently pricing in. And, and I get it. People are we're still in rate high cycles. Rates are still moving higher. Uh, what you have to think about is not all rates are, are created equally, right? When you take a look at the yield mm -hmm. curve, there's tenors going from three months Actually, there's tenors going out from like two week paper, but anyway, going out from you know three months all the way up to thirty years, 
So what you've seen this year is you've seen that front end of the yield curve move up a heck of a lot more than, than the long end of the yield curve. Again, just a little bit of a refresher. The front end of the yield curve typically dictated by monetary policy. The longer end of the curve is, is more dictated by inflation expectations uh, and uh, economic output. So we haven't seen kind of, you know, five years and out move quite as much as, as the front end of the curve. And, and over the last, you know, rate hikes as well, you know, the front end certainly has moved and you, and you typically see it move, you know, if the Fed moves 25, you, you see it kind of move up around 25. Mm -hmm. You don't see that in, in kind of the middle and middle to the long end of the curve. So again, and, and, and another point too that, that people need to recognize as well is, you know, let's take a scenario where let's say you can get a seven and a half percent yield on, on, on a bond mandate, which many, many bond mandates are sitting at right now. Um, I'm thinking, you know, and, and you think some of these mandates have around, let's call it a five, five year duration. Mm -hmm. Even if we get another, you know, another 100 basis points over the next 12 months from the Fed that we didn't expect, you know, you're going to be down, let's say the whole yield curve moves 100 basis points, it likely wouldn't, but let's say it does, you know, your, your bond mandate's going to be down 5% on a duration perspective, but you have a 7.5% yeah. yield. So you're, you're probably looking at a plus plus two two and a half percent mm -hmm. you know assuming spreads you know don't blow out and nothing else so what you have to understand is yeah. and i think the take-home message is, is there's there's at least enough yield baked into bonds now then even if we do get you know a little bit of credit widening or a little mm -hmm. bit rates moving higher you're still looking at a positive return outlook and that's really i think the most important point right is it like the if you do when you're investing i think one of the most prudent things to to do as an as an investor as an advisor is you know, is to say, what are the probabilities of each scenario, right? Like the probabilities that you're getting a positive outcome in the next 12 months with bonds is the probabilities of that happening are much higher now than they were probably for the past 12, 15 years. Uh, and in fact, if you look at uh, just like the, the yields on certain sectors um, in, of the bond market going back to 2009, which I think, you know, it's pretty clear is the, the last real kind of credit cycle that we had. Uh, but that was more profound, if you will, because if we, I mean, 2016, yes, a little bit. And, you know, you had uh, 2018 also a little bit at the end of the year, but it wasn't like a full on credit cycle. If we go back to 2009, the U.S. aggregate bond index um, as of November 30th, is that it's 98th percentile. So only 2% of the time since 2009 have you gotten paid this much to own the US bond market. If you look at uh, corporate investment grade bonds, it's at the 95th percentile. Corporate high yield, 85th percentile. Emerging market debt, 95th percentile. That's, that's close to 100. <laughs> uh, so basically, you know, uh, very, very little other better opportunities to to, to buy bonds. So it's not to say that it, it can't happen, that we see more volatility and that there might be a little bit of downside because to your point that you mentioned, spreads are pretty much around the historical average. Um, like spreads haven't widened in the anticipation of a slower uh, macro environment or slowing economic activity that you usually see and default rates increase and, and then you get maybe a bit volatility there. But it's just, you know, once again, the probabilities are on, on, our, on our side for the first time in a long time um, for, for those fixed income securities. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add there, but I mean, I think the one area where we could see a bit of volatility is probably on the spread side, because on rate side, it's, it's tough to see significantly higher uh, rates. Yeah, I mean, kind of agree with that. And, and again, they, you know, spreads have widened out uh, a bit this year, uh, for sure. 
Uh, last year it was kind of pretty quiet. Uh, spreads didn't move a heck of a lot. Um, spreads have widened a bit this year, which has kind of been adding a little bit of fuel to the fire from the uh, return side of things uh, in fixed income. But yeah, I think I think spreads are going to be kind of fr- front and center for next year. Obviously, you know, a lot of people are uh, throwing out, we're throwing around the R word as of late. Uh, uh, <laughs> our R word R for recession. Um, and obviously the yield curves uh, are inverted in, in many areas of the curve. So again, that, that has historically been kind of the canary in the coal mine for a recessionary environment. Um, the, the one thing with that inversion is, is uh, you know, it doesn't really tell you when it's going to come. So, you know, it, we, sometimes yeah. it comes in six months, sometimes it comes in 18 months after the inversion. So it doesn't really give you a, a market timing signal, but it typically does indicate that something's coming over the horizon. I mean, if you take a look at the BOC, uh, Bank of Canada, that is, um, you know, Governor, Governor Macklem and I, and I think Macklem and they made their kind of their, their statement around saying, you know, we've revised our growth forecast for next year for Canada a little bit lower. Um, so there are some signs out there that there is some some slowing of the economy as well. So again, as we know, deteriorating economies typically portends to kind of a widening spread scenario. So obviously it'll be felt a, a little bit more in kind of the, the further areas of the credit market, mm-hmm. such as um, you know, your, your high yield names relative to your, your investment grade names. But, you know, we, we are, I think, I think most people can agree, obviously everyone has a different definition, but I think we're, we're probably close to kind of late stage of the cycle here. Uh, and typically, um, you know, what has performed well in the late stage are kind of more your investment grades and, and more your treasuries in that scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. So, so, you know, higher credit quality, uh, g- generally helps in that type of, of environment. One thing you mentioned there is with regards to an inverted yield curve. And I feel like it's, uh, you know, news outlets across the world's favorite topic. Like every time it happens, it's like, you know, it's a signal and we need to, to, to you know, tur- turn on an alarm. And uh, But what fundamentally does that do to bond markets? And at just one example, I think that's a great example from, uh, something that's tangible to to everybody who's listening to this call or anybody who who's looking at owning a home or buying a home or has a home is you know you're get you're paying more for a variable you're getting a higher variable rate than a fixed rate which is basically saying that yields in the future or rates in the future are going to be lower than they are now but that doesn't really work <laughs> right like long term that doesn't make sense cuz we learned that time value of money is the number one construct in finance that makes the world go round how how does like what does how does this impact fundamentally markets in general and just the financial system yeah for, i think the main thing is obviously funding costs right um that's been the biggest thing uh, uh we've we've had basically 0% or low zero you know low you know 1% interest rates across the board so again it, it has tons of implications obviously you see it in your mortgage you see it in your credit cards uh you see it in overnight funding markets um, you know, whereas, uh, so it has long ranging implications again, at the end of the day, like the main price that kind of drives kind of all financial markets yeah. are interest rates. Right. Um, so I think you made a good point about the fix versus, you know, fixed versus floating, uh, mortgage. That's kind of a more tangible example that I think uh, yeah. folks can, re- can relate with certainly. Um, but again, I think with that inversion there, again, the, the, the market is signaling to that, they do think rates are going to be lower in the yeah. future. And again, uh, and that's why you do see that inversion, right? And as I mentioned, the longer end, typically more economically driven than the shorter end. So it's market saying, yeah, I don't think growth is going to be you know, higher in the future, mm-hmm. but we've got central banks hiking rates now. So that front end of the curve just continues to march higher. Exactly. So oh, that's, that's, that's bang on, right? Is that like right now, the r- rates are going higher to combat 
uh, cyclically high inflation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've uh, fully solved the growth story on the on the longer end, right? And I think that's kind of like what you mentioned is is telling us. And I think one of the driving forces of that, and something that we've talked about in the past and heard from our PMs also, is is demographics, right? Like that's not something that you can solve with rates. <laughs> it's not going to get more people working and more people spending to prop up uh, growth. And that's a very long problem to to solve, if you will, if you if, if it is even solvable, as we've seen in uh, in in other regions, like, for example, Japan and Europe. And do, do you think it's it's viable that we see rate, you know, like we mentioned, you know, the terminal rate in the US 5%, Canada 4.5%. Okay. What's what do you think makes sense from like a, a long term normalized rate or if you will like for 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 markets is it is it going to stay at four is it going to stay you know is it go back down to three and a half like if we compare it to what we've seen abroad is there you know a common kind of assumption that maybe this is not sustainable um if yeah that's I a think fair that, question to ask yeah it's, it's 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 certainly a big question as well it's a tough um, question i'm sorry i i think <laughs> you on the spot i think no what i will say though is i think I think it would be healthy if we maintained slightly higher levels of interest rates for a period of time. I think, you know, since 2008, we've just been doing this yo-yoing between 0% and, you know, whatever percent that the Fed and the BOC end up at. I think it's it's still been historically low. So I think it'd be very healthy for markets, especially from a fixed income perspective as well, to have rates remain at, you know, reasonable levels. I don't know exactly what that perfectly reason. I'm sure there's somebody writing a PhD yeah. thesis on this, what the <laughs> optimal level of interest rate should be. But I certainly think, you know, having at least, you know, you know, th- somewhere around 3% or somewhere, or, or, or maybe if we just, mm-hmm. every time there's a hiccup, we don't have to cut down to zero. I think that would be a little bit more healthy uh, moving forward uh, in yeah, terms t- of monetary policy. To to get a, uh, to give ourselves a bit of leeway, almost right, because it's it felt like if things would have gotten worse post COVID nineteen pandemic from a macroeconomic perspective, like say it was very tough to get that rebound that we saw we saw in economic activity, like what what else can you do, right? Like we did, uh, I mean, or I say we, obviously not me, not you. Central banks <laughs> provided you know really massive amount of liquidity with quantitative easing, asset purchases. Like if you have rates at least at a, at, a, at, a, at a bit of a higher bracket, well, you give yourself some flexibility if we do see some type of potential slowdown, like a re- you know a recessionary period. Um, and I think that's also something that central banks are thinking of right now. We're saying, you know, you've heard from uh, Jerome Powell, you've heard from, um, uh, from Tiff Macklem also, is that, you know, they, they're not super excited about cutting rates right away to, to stabilize financial markets. That's not the idea. The idea is that, you know, to prepare ourselves for, for, for the longer, longer term, which uh, seems sane, seems like a good idea. Well, I, I think you kind of saw that in COVID because I think where, where were we uh, on, on overnight rates uh, when COVID started? I don't think we were super high. I feel like we were kind of around 3%, maybe a little sub, maybe even lower in Canada. But, you know, central banks cut to zero pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, on the fiscal side, that's where things stepped in. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, central banks and governments kind of threw the kitchen sink at COVID to to kind of keep the economies afloat. The the downside of that, um, you know, you know, getting rates to zero, doing quantitative easing and then also a ton of fiscal spending was this inflation that we're living with right now. So, 
Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We're deviating a little bit here from like the pure investment side. And I went into this <laughs> fully theoretical and kind of uh, not, not theoretical, but kind of uh, philosophical. philosophical, philosophical. That's the word. Thank you to my French catching up to me on uh, a late uh, Thursday afternoon. But uh, one thing I, I want to chat about a lot before we wrap this up is, is tax loss selling. And this is like a concept, again, that's kind of been uh, played around with, you know, you see quite a bit of uh, come year end to say, you know, from a fiscal standpoint, as an investor, if I'm in a taxable account, you know, it's, it's a good, it could be a good idea to sell things that are down and to kind of reset your, like your average cost base to, 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 to I guess, harvest the tax loss. This is the first time in a very long time you've had that opportunity with bonds. Usually you do that with some stocks that you own, with some, you know, funds that you might own that are equities, mostly because you have a, you know, a down year, you take some losses, you kind of rotate into something different or, or, or similar, but it, you, it can't be the same, obviously. And we can touch on that a little bit, but we can, there is potentially this opportunity this year with bonds. Have you heard from, obviously you're in the capital market side now also, like, are you seeing that happening beneath? The surface, like, is that happening right now? And and is do you think it's, uh, it could be a good idea for certain investors? Yeah, absolutely, and, and we are absolutely seeing it. We've 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 seen a, a number of switch trades. Um, you know, folks selling certain mandates, buying other mandates. Um, we've seen it even across like you know mutual funds, people rotating out of mutual funds and ETFs, and even even mm -hmm. the other way around. So I think a lot of folks are taking advantage of that. Um, you know. You know, putting that tax asset on the books, it's obviously been a challenging year across bonds, it's been a challenging year across equities, you know, frankly, across whole, all financial assets this year. So I think I think a lot of investors are, are taking note of that strategy and are, t are taking advantage of it and, uh, you know, trying to try to put a win, trying to put a notch in the win column for this year, uh, at least from a tax perspective. Yeah. Should should I just want to preface this all with uh, this is not tax advice. Uh. No, absolutely, <laughs> we are not tax experts. That is for sure a good call. One thing that uh, we can say though is that you you know at, and when you, if you are doing this as an individual investor, you know obviously it is good to consider looking getting some tax advice, right? Like uh, uh, working with an advisor, working with somebody who's an accountant. You know that could definitely uh, be worthwhile. And the other thing too, just one quick note though is that. Be careful when choosing, uh, like if you are switching from one mandate to another, that you're not either buying a product that's replicating the same benchmark or that is very, very similar. Uh, you know, you have to change your investment profile to to be to consider to, to harvest that tax loss. Correct. That's a very good point. Um, yes, it's, there's something called a superficial superficial loss um, where if you just switch a like for like. Uh, again, this is why it's very important to consult your financial advisor, consult your tax experts. Um, just again, so you don't run afoul with the CRA. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. Andre, this has been awesome. Uh, I think, you know, we, we started off by think by, by talking about kind of the, the tougher year it's been, obviously there's positive flows for the ETF industry, but it's been a tough investment year. But, you know, as we kind of mentioned, you know, as we progress through this episode is that there is, you know, this seemingly really nice opportunity to rebalance towards bonds, to relook that aspect of your portfolio, maybe con consider making changes. It's a good time to do that with, with tax losses, for example. But, uh, you know, I think uh, it, it, it seems like we're ending the year at least on a positive perspective or outlook uh, as we head into 2023 versus what was, uh, like we said, you know, historically two of the worst years back to back for, for bond markets. So it once again, light at the end of the tunnel. 
Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's it's been a it's been a tough year. A uh, bit of an analogy: if you're driving in a car, you're looking in the rearview mirror, and all you're seeing is a dumpster fire. Still raining <laughs> a little, still raining a little bit overhead. We're still in a rate hike cycle, but I think there's uh, I think there's sunnier skies moving forward uh, with regards to fixed income. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man, for joining us once again. Thank you everybody for listening in. We hope you have a great holiday season, and we're gonna catch you back in January. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects. Don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a five-star rating or review. Thanks again. See you next time.